Uh, did I see another hand with somebody that's good with jigsaw puzzles? <laughs> I'm, I'm just razzing her. That's all right. That's all right. Okay, and let me get the pieces. <laughs> 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 oh, no. Uh. Oh, I can't from Mom under pressure. Well, can't you? Well, listen, there are words. Yeah, there are words here. There, there, I'm trying to find... I, actually, this is probably the harder side of the puzzle. There are two sides to this puzzle. Here, okay. here comes here comes your associate. Okay, honey. Okay. This is... There's two pieces here. Here comes help. No, that's one. Yeah, and they're thick, so there are two pieces of paper together, okay. so don't take those you. apart. Oh, okay. 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 44. Okay. You got the corners? Here's another one. Down. This goes down. No, it doesn't. You say this is one of those 900 piece puzzles? Listen, this is just 8.5 by 11. This goes here. Okay. No? Yeah, this one right here. Oh, yeah. Here's an edge piece. All things. This is. This goes with this. Yeah. There we go. It, it seems simple when I cut it apart. Okay, so I did this uh, for a PhD class about five years ago. My professor wasn't impressed. We can do another uh, machine. <laughs> that goes with that, I think. Yes. Okay, we're, we are making progress here. Yes, ma'am. Yes. No, this is it. This is it right here, I think. Mm -hmm. No, that's yep. that's an edge no, piece. That. Okay, so honey, it has to go. There. Yep. Okay. There's some. Jesus said. Said. Mm -hmm. S A I D. Yep. Find a D. This is an S. Do we have a corner that goes up here? And uh, probably. Our Christmas tree's looking better, y'all. <laughs> no, that's yeah, not that. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a piece missing. <laughs> Check the floor. Check the teacher's pockets. <laughs> Are you familiar with the hook, book, look, took? Format of a Sunday school class period. Yes. yes. Okay. The hook is taking too long. <laughs> yes. Yes. Really. yes. Okay. Do you have the uh, the roadmap for this? We we will. Yes, it does. Who's okay. there? Yes, it does. And uh, these okay, go so together. Okay. So what you have goes here. 
right in here. Okay. Yes. Yes. And you got these. this Yes. Together. This. Yes. Okay. Where's and this one go? These things. Um, these things, which I told you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't go there. Okay. This moves over. Yep. Okay. Yes. But this is an edge and piece. That's an edge. Okay, and yeah, that goes up in the top, I think, honey. Okay. And this yep. one moves out of here, and we move this one over. So we go. That, that's right, that's right. Here, here, here. This goes here. This one comes up. I know. Nope. Yeah, it's it's not can't, can't do it. It's amazing. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Flip it over and do the back side. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. We're, all, we're almost there. Okay. We're close. Oh. Um, <laughs> this here. Okay. Yep. And then we want to put this one over here. This goes here. This goes here. Yeah. Ever this goes. I, I can get it all, but it takes me forever. There we go. Okay, now. Still friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Georgina, you left too soon. I want you to read our oh. verse for us. <laughs> okay. Thank you for succeeding. <laughs> Jesus said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law. Oops. Mm-hmm. And the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's Luke 24, 44. Okay, now, now, now stay, stay right here. So we're going to close the folder. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, oh. oh. oh there was a picture. Oh, and that's there's beautiful. there's a picture on the other side. So. That's beautiful. All right. Well, almost. It almost worked. Uh, maybe I needed two pieces of glass, and then we could. Okay. Jesus, good job. <laughs> I almost destroyed your puzzle trying to pull those pieces. <laughs> okay, so there's a picture, there's a pencil drawing of Jesus on the back, and yeah, everything in Moses, the the prophets. Uh, uh, must be fulfilled about the Lord Jesus. Okay, so we're talking about canonical messianic <coughs> prophecy, and um, what I would, what I'm hoping is that as we read the scriptures, as we're studying the messianic prophecies, we're realizing that we're speaking about a specific individual, and no one else can fulfill uh, the messianic prophecies except Jesus of Nazareth. He alone. You know, his, his portrait is what's being painted through uh, the Old Testament scriptures. Now, we're not watching that clock. We're watching this clock over here. And 
that one's moving, so we'll we'll pay attention to this one. Uh, we've we've talked a little bit about messianic prophecy and the fulfillment and the way that we see uh, the scripture being fulfilled. Uh, and one of those ways, let me back up, is direct literal fulfillment uh, of the prediction. There's also typical fulfillment of messianic uh, prophecies, applicational. And we took examples from my, uh, from Matthew 2. And then summary uh, fulfillment, which seems to be a number of passages brought together. And so in, in Matthew 2, 23, I believe, <clears throat> he went out and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called... A Nazarene. Now, some people look at, at that last term, the Nazarene. Uh, Netzer is a Hebrew word for root or branch. And so they would say it's being fulfilled in that Jesus is the root of David. Others would look at, uh, at Nazarene, and there is a negative connotation there about being kind of a backwaters area, a backwaters place, or maybe despised. And so then we would go to Isaiah 53, where he was despised and forsaken of men. And that may be one of those passages that is brought together by Matthew, saying that Jesus fulfilled it. However you interpret it, um, this would be an example of summary fulfillment. Now, there are a couple of other ways that Jesus fulfills messianic prophecy. And I thought these were very eye-opening. I hope they're clear to you. I read the article. You didn't have. You don't have a chance to read the article, so they may not be as clear to you as as to me. Scriptures are messianic by extension, and by that, Dr. Culver means that part of the basis of this category in Jesus' statement that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets is that he he fulfilled the the, the law. He fulfilled everything, so that when he came. Um, he carried out the details of specific predictions and types. Uh, he kept the righteousness of the law. He paid its penalties. Uh, he fulfilled the righteousness described, for instance, in Psalm 1 or Psalm 15 and other places. So that Jesus embodies um, maybe the premier Jew, if you will, in certain, uh, in certain aspects. Another way that the scriptures are messianic um, is by way of preparation. And again, Culver is drawing us to the fact that God orchestrated, he superintended Jewish history to bring us to the place where it was, as Paul put it, um, uh, I don't know why I don't remember Galatians 4.4. I'm going to have to commit that to memory. Um, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And I think that's partially what Culver is getting at here, that God prepared the world to receive his son. And that, that doesn't mean that everyone did when he came, but the world was ready. Um, divinely ready, superintended by God to receive the Son. 
Okay, now, we've looked at five of these passages. And I want us to, to spend just enough time to get the flavor for the rest of the passages. Um, so, turn to 1 Samuel 2. And in our class, when we were studying Samuel, we spent some time with, with Hannah's praise of God. Remember what she said at the end of her prayer? The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Now, some of us might look uh, at that verse and think she's talking about David. But I think a greater than David has come. And I think that a greater than David fulfilled these words. Um, and I believe what Hannah's doing here is looking at what God does so well through history. And that is, he shows up. He has a man of the hour. And eschatologically speaking, Jesus is the man of the hour. Soteriologically speaking, ecclesiasticologically <coughs> speaking, uh, Jesus is the man of the hour. And I think that's what Hannah is, is getting at for us here. Turn to 2 Samuel. Well, don't turn there because we spent some time in 2 Samuel 7. Let's go to Psalm 2. Oh, boy. Um, I, think, I, I think I may have told you in my oral defense of my dissertation, and I wrote about Messianic prophecy, uh, one of the Old Testament professors, whom I highly respect, asked me about the way I interpret Old Testament prophecy. And as you, as you may know, in current evangelical Old Testament understanding of the scriptures, they like to see a near referent first and then perhaps see the Messiah after that. And to his surprise, I said, well, I see at least three psalms to be only messianic. And he countered and he said, Kent, are you saying that you see David first or Hezekiah first and then Messiah? I said, no. I think these psalms can only be interpreted correctly according to the author's in intended meaning as messianic. And he didn't say anything. I know that he disagreed with that. And he knows more than I know, but I'm welcome to my opinion, and <laughs> and and you are welcome to your opinion. Um, psalm two is one of those psalms I think can only be interpreted correctly as messianic. Okay, buckle up. Why do the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. 
The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You, so now the son is speaking, you, uh, and he's recounting what the father said, You are my son, today I've begotten you, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. And the ends of the earth, your possession, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Whoa, come, come and do it, Lord. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In their great wisdom, in their great learning. Mm-hmm. My Bible mixed up. all of that as the Messiah. Yeah, yeah, mine too. Okay. I have a study Bible, so someone agrees with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I've written in my margin uh, that it's in Revelation 12 and Daniel 7. Okay, so you've got some cross references there. My own. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this is Revelation 6:16. Also, is a is a reference in Revelation 2:27. Okay, so this is one of those passages that we will see again, and New Testament authors then use. Uh, Psalm 2. Uh, You're probably familiar with Psalm 8, but let's just remind ourselves quickly of it. This doesn't sound like it's messianic until we get to Hebrews, and the author of the treatise to the Hebrews uh, uses it that way. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him (laughs) dominion over the works of your hands and have put all things under his feet. If we wanted to turn to Hebrews, we would see that that is applied specifically to Christ who came and was made a little bit lower than the angels for a time. Get that. Here we've got God the Son who's going to take on Satan on his turf, and he comes down and he's made lower than Satan, he's made lower than the angels? Think about the condescension that he experienced. Ephesians 2, 5 would say the same thing, would it not? So yeah, references 2, 6 through 8 of Hebrews. Okay, Hebrews 2, 6 through 8. Um, chapter 16. This is another psalm, in my opinion, that is messianic. And the New Testament, in fact, the apostles speak of Christ's resurrection using this passage. Starting at verse 9, or excuse me, verse 8. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my, my flesh also dwells secure. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand 
our pleasures forevermore. And again, New Testament applies that specifically to the Lord Jesus. I think that David wrote this um, under the inspiration of the Spirit, and I think he was writing about Christ's uh, resurrection. How could you apply it to anyone else? Well, so, so scholars would look at this passage and say, this psalmist is, is looking wonderfully at how God has preserved life rather than resurrected life. Um, Old Testament scholars hesitate to see resurrection in the Old Testament. They may admit one or two passages. Matt? Uh, also, the word Messiah or Mashiach can also apply to human people. Cyrus in the, the Persian, he, he was called that very name too. In fact, uh, yes. the definite article on the King of Kings, when it's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, in the Hebrew is there too. Okay, so priests were anointed, kings were anointed. Uh, thank you, Matt. Great observation. So given the breadth uh, of the Old Testament study and how people look at it, and, and again, it boils down to their methodology. It boils down to their hermeneutic. And um, I was thinking about the, the part where it says, he will not allow the Holy One to undergo decay. Uh-huh. So, okay, so, so so someone would say he's not going to allow his flesh to die, okay? And rather than resurrection, this is just a preservation of life. Um, let's, uh, we could go to 22. There are great passages there. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so forth. They looked on all my bones um, that were displaced. But let's turn to Psalm 110. This, again, I believe, can only be understood as messianic and David does such a wonderful job I I think we may have spent some time with with this when we were studying Samuel this is a psalm of David our hero the Lord says to my Lord okay now notice what he's saying here the Lord is all caps so Yahweh uh, the the undisputed God of all okay the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, says to my Lord, David says. So we've got Yahweh, creator God, almighty God, saying to David's Lord. And the question is, so who is that? Who's David's Lord? The only one that sits at his right hand is Jesus. Okay. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, and so forth and so on. Again, I, I don't see any, any person that can fulfill this psalm other than Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, the son of God. And I have a note here, and I don't know who gave it to me, but it was saying that in verse 1, the Lord refers to Adonai, where in verse 4, the Lord refers to Yahweh. So is... Okay, okay, so the first Lord in verse 1 is Yahweh. The second Lord would be 
Adoni. Okay. Now, that's not Adonai. Adoni would be the singular with the first person singular suffix. So it's Yahweh is saying to, to David's uh, authority figure, whoever David's authority figure is, sit at my right hand. Now, we would want it to say, that's David. You know, well, obviously, we would think that the Lord is saying to David, sit at my right hand until I make your, your enemies a footstool for your feet, which God did for David. Okay, but he, but that's not the way David's writing this. This isn't about David. This is about David's Lord, his master, his Adon. And then the Lord in verse four, again, as Yahweh has sworn will not change his mind, you, speaking about that person, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What does the author of the treatise to the Hebrews tell us? Jesus is a priest, not from Levi, because he was from the tribe of Judah, but he's a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Yes. Oh boy, isn't Messianic prophecy intriguing? Yes, Paul. To take it a step further, wouldn't it be true to say that today, of course, the object of our salvation is Christ back to the death and resurrection, but wouldn't it be accurate to say that the object of David, the object of the faith of the Old Testament saints was also Christ looking forward? Wouldn't that be an accurate statement? Yes, 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 it would be with, I think, some limits. Because how much did they understand? That's right. They didn't have the full canon of Scripture as we do today. Yes. But nevertheless, I think we have to be careful, not you, I think Christians have to be careful not to separate Christ out of the Old Testament too much because the entire, from Genesis on, is about Christ yes. throughout. And yes. Too often we separate Old and New Testament in a weird way. Well, all the New Testament is about Jesus. And the Old Testament, <coughs> no. All of Scripture points to Christ. Yes, yes. I, may I use your comment uh, to turn to Revelation 19? We're going to get to Revelation. <laughs> 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 it, if we cover 25 slides today, we'll be ready for Revelation, but we're, I, I don't think we're going to quite get there. Okay, in Revelation 19.10, the angel is talking uh, to John, and he says, uh, when John, uh, John fell down at his feet to worship him, but the angel said to me, to John, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And we've talked about that. The testimony about Jesus is the spirit that's at work in prophecy. So yes, brother, yes, prophecy is about Jesus. Um, he is the main subject of prophecy. Um, have to take my blood pressure medicine. Um, okay, so let's look at a, at a few more passages. I'm going to skip uh, Psalms and go on to Isaiah. We're familiar with, with Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 11, but maybe we aren't as familiar with Isaiah 16.
Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. And again, scholars might look at this passage and say, well, let's find an Old Testament figure that that fulfills this. But I think if you look at the whole of the book and what Isaiah is talking about in preparing his people for a period of comfort, of coming comfort, and he's, he's, ad, uh, he's admitting the lost estate of his people. And he's looking forward and saying, one is coming, that suffering servant is coming. In fact, it's that son that's born to us, whose name is a wonderful counselor, and so forth. Uh, we look at the Messianic uh, passages in Isaiah 42, 49, 50, 52, 53. I've talked to you about those. Let's go to Jeremiah 23. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in his land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Um, Let's go to 33, Jeremiah 33. Uh, I have 15 down here. We ought to start at 14. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Sounds very much like what we just read from Isaiah. Now, Jeremiah is after Isaiah. Isaiah uh, ministered in the 700s, Jeremiah in the 600-500 period. Uh, in those days and at that time, I, I looked at uh, 16. In those days, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne. The Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt sacrifices and, and grain offerings and to make sacrifices forever and so forth. Um, Ezekiel 37. Twenty one. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. Ezekiel served uh, during the days of the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of the Jews from their <coughs> land. And he's now prophesying that God will bring them back. I will make them one nation in the land and on the mountains of Israel. One king shall be over them. They shall no longer be two nations, no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall no more defile themselves. 
with their idols and their detestable things and with any of their uh, transgressions. I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God and my servant David shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd and they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. And they will dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob where their fathers lived and so forth. Georgina? In that reference where he says they will, uh, David will serve them all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in the end time when we're in, in are we going to worship David? No. Okay. No. I believe David, uh, I believe David's name is standing in for David's greater son. And the promise was made to, to David um, that he would have an everlasting kingdom. And the dynasty. And the dynasty, exactly. And so David's greater descendant will fulfill okay. this passage. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some places, yes. Yeah. Yes, in some places. I think this is one of those examples. Yeah, okay. But won't David be there? I think David will be there, yes. Glenn? This was written after the time of David. Everyone yes. who read this knew that David was dead and in the tomb. So the only way David could fulfill this was to come back to life himself, personally, mm-hmm. <clears throat> or for him, if this to be his greater descendant. Right. This was written after the time of David. Yes. It's in heaven, isn't it? No. It's, it's not oh, no, not in heaven. It's going to be on earth, sister. It's going to be right here. In fact, thank you so much, Linda. Let's turn to Zechariah. I was reading that this week, and um, Zechariah 8. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So it's right at the end of the Old Testament. Starting at verse uh, 20, Zechariah 8:20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations. Okay, so do you see what's happening here? There are people from various cities saying, hey, let's get up to Zion. Let's get up and check out the Lord of hosts. And when will that happen? In the new covenant era. So let's keep reading. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts in those days, Ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Woo! Wow! Yes. Grab that, Jew, that Jew, uh, Jew's robe and lead us on, brother. Take us to Zion. See, that's Old Testament prophecy. Um, and there will be a day. It's, no, that's a Jew. 
That, and, and they will recognize God's favor on, the, on restored Israel because he will gather Israel and Judah back together and make a new nation of them. And then they will say, wow, these people are in with God Almighty. Let's ask them to get us also into, good, into God's great favor and good, uh, good graces. What's going on in your mind, Sixto? Well, I don't want to be trite about it, but the reality is that for history uh, and the Jews, we think of the atrocities of Hitler and so forth. But I think in my history of the Spanish Inquisition and all the places that the Jews have been maligned all throughout history, and and it's one thing from for secular people or not, but particularly the the Inquisition, that, that kind of stuff, from people who should have known better and should have respected the Jew and thought, hmm, there's a connection here if they don't connect the dots. It's so sad that, you know, the history, but now we're happy for them. And yeah, go chase, it's a contrast. Yes, even, even in the Reformation, yes. uh, reformers, reformers were anti-Jewish. Okay. Um, yes. Uh, in Switzerland, they're still anti-Jewish, oh. and, and they're considered a Catholic yeah. um, nation. I mean, a Christian slash Catholic nation, a Protestant mm-hmm. and Catholic. I guess it's the right word, but um, it, it's surprising. We have when we lived there for those years, we found out that it's not just one people; it's a nation that is anti-Semitic. Wow, mm-hmm. and that was. Unbelievable to us that in this day and age, mm-hmm. and what, what they went through, through in Germany, next door, they lived next door to Germany. Yeah. Horrible. Yeah. Uh, well, Catholics, even today, are kind of anti Protestant. If you look at their council, uh, in the Reformation age, Martin Luther, when he was younger, spoke very favorably of the Jews. He had a lot of good things to say about it. As he got in his later years, he became kind of anti-Semitic. Because I'm not downplaying what they've been through. They have been through hell, literally. But the he, the Jews never get it. Is the problem? They, there you go. All the promises, all the things that have been done for them. When God called them, it's like it's not about you. It's about me. You were nothing. I I chose you. And they keep trying to make themselves right with God. Through, right, through their own righteousness. They have this zeal, but it's a self-righteous zeal. Yes. And Martin Luther and the reformers are, who are fighting against this self-righteousness in the Catholic Church is basically saying, look, you guys still don't get it. All the things that we're going through, we're being, our heads are being chopped off, we're being thrown in jail, we're burned, being burned at the stake. You still don't get it. And the Jews throughout history, although they have suffered a lot of things, at times they have also encouraged persecution of Christians. You know, so they're kind of, you know, a play there. So a better age is coming. A better age. And uh, it's going to be a radical transition. Very radical, yes. Glenn? Uh, My understanding is that the Roman Catholic Church was the first place and the original place where replacement theology was born. That God has replaced the Jewish people with the church. And therefore, the church gets all the promises that were intended for the Jews. Therefore, they get nothing now. And if you take that mindset, then 
that led into this great anti-Semitism within the Roman Catholic Church. It goes back to the Middle Ages or before. That, that uh, God's not talking about the Jews, really. He's talking about the church. And once the church age came, the Jews are set on the shelf, and they're forever. <coughs> and they do that totally disregarding what Paul says in Romans. I, I think there's a lot of truth in what you said there, Glenn. I, what I understand of, of hermeneutics and the history of hermeneutics would lead me to say that it probably goes back to the first centuries of the church uh, with allegorical interpretation. Yeah, and, and the Catholic Church came out of that. Um, and and if you're, are you familiar with the term replacement theology? Okay, okay. So uh, with allegorical interpretation, we can read the passage and say, that's not Israel and Judah, that has to be the church. Israel and Judah are, are long gone. And they replace then the promises, as you have said, the promises to Israel and to Judah, and um, the church becomes the the uh, in the heir of, of those things. Yes, Fred. If you look at the uh, Protestant Christianity today, as opposed to Judaism, with people you know, you would find that liberal Christians and Jews believe pretty much the same thing. They have different traditions, different holidays, but they all believe in a works. Uh, if there is a God, then there is a works sort of a salvation, and both believe that today. Yeah, or, or just be the best kind of person that you, yeah, that you want. Be best yeah. <clears throat> okay, there are a few more Messianic passages I'd like us to cover. Uh, Micah 5 was referenced today, but Micah 2 doesn't get a lot of press. Let's turn to Micah. So Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Like Dr. Murphy, I was pretty good in Bible drills myself when I was a kid. What? Okay, so Micah 2 and the last two verses. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He, all right, now watch. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them the Lord, Yahweh, all caps, is at their head. Woo, that's New Covenant era. That's New Covenant stuff. That's the second coming of Christ and, and restoring Israel to its proper prominence uh, in the world. Yes, it, it will usher in the millennium. Okay. Yes, when Christ comes back, I believe he will, he will restore Israel. He will gather Israel, Matthew 24, Matthew 25. And he will divide between the sheep and the goats and so forth. He will gather Israel, restore them, and then I believe he will reign for a thousand years. And as, I, as we read from Zechariah, the nations will come. 
saying, let's check this out. And Isaiah 2 and, and Micah 4 talk about the same thing, where the nations stream to Jerusalem. Exactly. And it, That's the, why I was confused because I thought, how can they live on earth and not be sinful? Okay, okay. <laughs> so uh, Deuteronomy 30 is would be a great passage to read. We, uh, we don't have time to do that. That's okay. No. Um, the Lord has provided uh, in the Mosaic Covenant, he has provided for the restoration of his people. And he says, after you sin, you apostatize, and I send you out of the land, and I scatter you among the nations. When you are there, and you're worshiping false gods, and life isn't good for you any longer, you're going to think of me. And when you think of me, you're going to repent. And when you repent, I'm going to gather you back. And I'll bring you back to the land, and I'll restore you. And so he has provided for the new covenant in the Mosaic Covenant. He's, he's made provision, he's made promises that will be fulfilled, and the people will return, and they will be repentant. In fact, it says that they will mourn over their Messiah, whom they now recognize. And they're no longer tempted. Right, yeah, they'll, they'll be in a little different state of, of heart than what we are right now. Yes. No, will that be the Holy Spirit drawing them at that point in time. It's Jesus, obviously, but he's one of the Godhead, one of the three of the Godhead. So the, mm-hmm. the, the one drawing, would that be the Holy Spirit back on the earth? <laughs> sounds sounds reasonable to me. I don't I, I don't know that I can come up with a passage okay. that specifically references the Holy Spirit doing You're that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm typically what, one ten over seventy, so I'm 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 pretty good. <laughs> uh, okay. Our time is gone. Uh, but those are the messianic passages. And I, I really wish the, the picture would have worked because on the flip side of, of Luke 24:44 is a nice, wonderful pencil drawing of Christ. And that's the point, that as we look at Messianic prophecies, we are seeing Jesus. Only Jesus can fulfill these things. So that, uh, as Rodelnik says, the best way to look at the scripture is the Old Testament tells us what to look for in the Messiah, the New Testament says, we found him, we see him, we can identify him. Because of everything they said, we now recognize him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for our time together. Thank you, Lord, for the rich treasury that we have in your word. And Lord, as we are discovering um, under uh, current conviction, as well as previous study, Uh, that your word is about the unveiling of your son. And uh, he is the watershed personality of all human history. Uh, We want to be on your good side, and we're so grateful that you have brought us and wooed us and called us to your grace through Christ. We anticipate uh, the writing of this cursed world, the freeing of it, the restoration of it, uh, of justice and goodness and righteousness, and the rightful worship 
of yourself when your son comes again. Yes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.